You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's Eve. I hope and trust that you and your family had an amazing Christmas holiday, and it's hard to believe that it's over. Another Christmas has come and gone, and I don't know about you, but it just seems that it goes faster and faster each year. I don't know, maybe it speaks to my age, but it's hard to believe that in 360 days from now, it's going to be Christmas again. I do love this time of year, starting kind of in November, there's this excitement that fills the air. The air gets a little bit cooler. There's a palpable energy that fills our restaurants, our stores, and even our church. And it seems like our focus and rhythms begin to shift a little bit. In our culture, we love to do a lot of traditions, things like decorating trees, exchanging gifts. I love the traditions that we have begun to build here at Southbridge over the last couple years. Starting out early December, one of our favorite traditions now is something called Jingle Jam, where we get families together to worship, to have fun together, and to hear the Christmas story. And then mid-December, we come together and have a Christmas party here where we learn to live as family and we share a meal with each other. And all these things seem to be pointing us to our Christmas Eve services and, and to that final song where we're holding our candles up high and we're singing Silent Night. And even the, the, uh, the candles have such good memories for me as a child. These candlelight services, when we used to use real candles, where we would start from one side of the sanctuary all the way to the other, and by the time we finished singing Silent Night, the whole sanctuary was lit. And my brothers would let their candles drip down a little bit, and then they'd pour it on me, <laughs> and then they would try to light me with it, all by, while my mom and my dad are giving us the death stare, they're just looking at us. My dad's got his, his grip on my knee and he's trying to refocus us. Now, one of the, my favorite traditions that I do and, and our family does each and every Christmas is something that we call our Christmas letters. And we love doing this so much and it makes our Christmas a little bit extra special. And we established this tradition about 12 years ago. And really what it is, is that we ask everybody in our family to write a letter to each other. Our kids will write a letter to me. I'll write one to them. They'll write one to Holly. I write one to Holly. And, and then what the purpose of the letter is to really say to them, hey, I see this about you. I see that this is going on. And I want to encourage you as you go forward into the new year. I want, to, I want to speak life to you. And then on Christmas morning, as we're exchanging our gifts, as I give my gift to Ashlyn, I give her the letter that I wrote to her. And then she reads that letter out loud to everyone. Now, I shared this recently with our fifth and sixth grade class, and they said, I can't believe that you make the kids wait that much longer to get their Christmas gifts. That seems so wrong. Well, that's a part of being in our family. 
So, over the years, what's been really kind of great to see is, is through these letters, you go back and look at them. We have 11 years' worth of them, and you remember exactly where you were, what, you, what was going on in your life, and you see these themes develop. Now, I have a couple of examples I'm going to share with you, some of my favorites over the last few years. Um, it's about a person in our family. See if you can pick up on the theme, and I will say, I don't see her yet, but, oh. but see if you can pick up. I did get approval before sharing these things, so let me just share a few of these from the, over the years. In 2016, Brady, our son, says, Mom, I noticed that 2016 was rough for you because you switched jobs multiple times, but you always try your best and you work through it. Now, he's seeing that she's struggling, but she perseveres. 2016, Ashlyn says, Mom, I am so proud of you this year. You've done a great job at your new job, and I'm so glad that you like the new work environment. Next year, 2017, Ashlyn says, Dear Mom, you are the most important person in my life. You're my best friend. Hey, you got a new job. <laughs> I feel as I say this in every letter, but you're killing it. Like, she's speaking life to her. You're doing a great job, Mom. That same year, Brady says, Mom, thank you for everything, like hauling me to practice. Now, what parent doesn't want to hear appreciation for driving their child to and fro practice. Congrats on the new job at the place that we all know that you have loved working at ever since you started. The next year, 2018, Brady says, Mom, I am so proud of you this year. You've done a great job at your new job, and I'm so glad you like the new work. 2019, Brady he says, Mom, I know you're currently not enjoying your job, <laughs> but you still continue to work hard and stay motivated. And here's my favorite line. He says, which is fascinating. <laughs> I don't know how you're doing this, Mom, but you're doing it. 2020, it's a rough year for all of us, right? 2020, Brady says, 2020 has been a wild year for all of us amidst the pandemic. You have gotten a new job, gotten a new puppy, and continue to be the best mother that I could ask for. Man, who wouldn't want to hear that? 2020, Ashlyn says, Mom, my safe place, my hero, this year has been wild for you. You pushed through, you followed your heart, and you left your job. 2021, Brady says, Dear Mom, it's been a wild year for you. You've begun a new job. You've gotten another dog and let a, another one of your ba babies move out and another one move back in. And 2021, Ashlyn says, Mom, you're my biggest inspiration in the world. I'm so glad to have seen you find a job that makes you so happy and content. Y'all, times were tough in the Altice household there for a while. And when I shared this with Holly, uh, we were coming back on a road trip from Boone, and she said, 
you make it sound like I, I job hop. And then we counted, and it was like, well, there was six jobs in seven years. So <laughs> it was just kind of where, where we were at that time. And as I read through these letters over the years and what we have said to our kids, it's the same message that I keep telling them as young adults today. And we're proud of you. Keep persevering. Take a risk. Take one step at a time. Keep caring for others. Keep trusting God. Turn to him. He's pursuing you. And I love our Christmas morning. It just is a very sweet time. It's, these letters really slow down our time together. It's a time to be vulnerable and intentional with one another. A time where we express our love and admiration for each other. It's a time where tears flow, mainly from Holly, but from me as well. And I think now, as my kids are older, they are intentionally writing things to get, they're like writing and watching mom. Is she crying? Yes, we, we got her to cry. So kids, eyes up here. Hear me on this one. My mom used to say this to me all the time, is that, um, if there's a time where your parents have a, a birthday or Christmas coming up, you're not sure what to get them, maybe you don't have the money, I'm going to say a heartfelt letter is way better than any gift that you can go buy in the store. I don't have the toilet golf that my daughter bought me from four years ago, but I still have her letters that she wrote me. Parents, wouldn't you agree with me on this one? Grandparents, a handwritten letter is way better. In the beginning of December, we, we started this new Christmas series, series called Christmas on Display, and it was our hope to experience something different this season, not just the lights, not just the traditions that we do, the decorations, all those things, great. We want to experience something different. When Christmas is on display through the life of Jesus, we can see the demonstration of God's love. And so tonight, you're going to have one year that's going to end and a new one's going to begin, and you're going to do some more traditions. Some of you are going to attend first night Raleigh, right? Most are going to stay at home and watch the ball drop in New York. If you make it to midnight, I will not. I can guarantee that. Maybe you get a kiss. And maybe you start to sing Auld Lang Syne with all your friends, right? People do that, or is that just a movie thing? No, nobody knows the words, right? They just kind of hum along. As we finish with our traditions of 2023 and we look forward, we often think of new possibilities. We want to use this time to reflect and examine ourselves. Where are we in our life? Where are we with our careers? Where are we with our relationships? And I think it's a good thing. Socrates says that the unexamined life is not worth living for a human being. And we often set new goals and commit to new habits. I found a Forbes.com article that had some interesting statistics about resolutions, it'll be up on the screen for you, but it says that 62% of people say they feel pressured to set a New Year's resolution. 48% of people say 
improving fitness is a top priority. That, that would be me this year. 36% cite improved mental health as a top resolution. 20% of people say that they will keep themselves accountable when it comes to sticking to their goals. Now, what's interesting is that previous years, that number was 77%. So people are, are not just keeping up with their resolutions. What was interesting that I found in this was that there was no mention about going to church as a resolution or participating in some kind of uh, religious activity. That was not mentioned in this article. And I think that just probably speaks to where we are in our culture. Ergen Kainer, he's a grad school dean of theology at Arlington Baptist University, said this, an unexamined life is not worth living and an unexamined faith is not worth holding. At this time of year, many of us are examining our faith. We're seeking renewal. We want to begin a, a new in our faith. We want a renewed experience with God. We want to begin again in relationships with others. And I think the question that I really am thinking through today, and want you to think along with me, is as I examine my faith, am I satisfied with my relationship with Jesus? And if not, why not? And if you are, that's awesome. Keep pressing into him. Keep pushing forward. Keep connecting other people to Jesus for life change. So I've titled this sermon, Jesus is Worth It, to help recenter our focus for this new year. And often when we start talking about establishing new behaviors and new habits and new rhythms, we often ask a lot of how and what questions. How do I grow in my faith? What do I need to do to grow in my relationship with God and with others? But when I think about a new, new start or a fresh start to a year, I think we need to start with the question of why. Now, parents of toddlers in the room, you're pretty familiar with this question of why right now, right? You know a lot about why questions. But asking why questions really helps us understand who we are. It helps us to grow and understand a purpose. Like your kids when they ask why, 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 you know, like the first one, they probably really want to know. The other ones are just to drive you a little nuts. But they're trying to make sense out of the world around them. So why is he worth it? Many of you today, I'm not going to share anything that you probably already don't know. But I hope it helps you remind and remind yourself of why you're doing what you are doing. And let's face it, there's a ton of reasons that I can give you for the why today. We're going to look at just a few of them. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The book of 2 Corinthians is written by Paul. Follows in your Bibles after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, there's a, a theming that kind of focuses on Christian service, on its joys, sufferings, responsibilities, and rewards. 
It's a great reminder for us as Christians to know why we do what we do as a Christian. So let's take a look at verses 16 through 21. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once, were regarded, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, this is Paul admitting that he once held a, a worldly view of Jesus. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Your translation may say that person is a new creation. The old is gone, or the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's go back and take a little closer look at verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away the new has come. Through Jesus, there is renewal and transformation. A newness of life is given. A new heart has been granted. For those who place their faith and trust in him, we are a new creation. Jesus brings about spiritual renewal and regeneration that should impact everything about us. And that's our first point. Jesus is worth it because he gives us a new identity. At the time of our salvation or when we place our faith and trust in him, the Holy Spirit indwells us and we become a new creation. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And there's more good news. He doesn't just stop doing a work when we place our faith and trust in him. At that moment, he continues to do a work in in us as we are being sanctified, this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. He continues to transform us and to make us more like him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 attests to this. It says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, this glory that is talked about in John 1722 was given to Jesus and he has now given it to us so that we may be one as he and the Father are one. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Becoming a new creation should affect the way we live. We are challenged to put off our former sinful way of life. Instead of living In sin and for ourselves, we are called to put on a new self, which is being renewed into the likeness of our creator. Jesus gives us a new identity. He changes our thoughts and our desires as we begin to live by faith and not by the flesh. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20 sums up our new identity and who is living in us. 
says that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you've been around Southbridge for any amount of time, you know that our mission statement is to connect people to Jesus for life change. Because we know that the only person, that only Jesus can bring about true, lasting life change. Now, many of the resolutions that we set today and tomorrow are going to fail to bring about real, lasting change. There goes my resolution for getting physically fit. As a matter of fact, the stats from that uh, Forbes article that I shared with you earlier tell us that the most resolutions will fail by six months. I have no hope. (laughs) But not with Jesus, right? He can bring about real, lasting life change because the Holy Spirit indwells you. The The Spirit of God lives in you. And this indwelling Spirit that takes up residence in your heart your soul, your entire being, bringing with him an entirely new life of love, relationship, and service to the Lord. Not only is Jesus worth it because he gives us a new identity, Jesus is worth it because he gives us a new purpose. And that's our second point. He gives us a new purpose. Let's go back and take a look at verse 20. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Believer, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. And, and the, the meaning of the word is kind of what you would think it is. It's kind of a, a governmental type language But an ambassador is really a person who is sent from one country to another and is supposed to represent the person who sent them to the other. Jesus, while he was on earth, represented the Father. His apostles and our successors should represent Jesus. Jesus declared the will of the Father to mankind, and we should declare the will of Jesus to the world. The Father's will and our message as ambassadors is for all to be reconciled to him. As ambassadors of Christ, we are called to be instruments of reconciliation with God, to, uh, with others to God. Why? Well, let's go back to verse 18 and 19. It says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The Greek here means a restoration to favor. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. So why? Because God has first reconciled us to himself through Christ. Christ left heaven to come here to reconcile us to the Father. And as his followers, we are entrusted as his ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. We are to help lead other people to be reconciled with God. Pastor Scott likes to say the church is, God, is 
God's plan A to reach the world. There is no plan B. We are plan A to share his message of reconciliation that God has forgiven us through Jesus. And through the years, we've seen many examples of good ambassadors Good ambassadors that are helping reconciling two warring factions through peace treaties and negotiations. Many ambassadors representing human rights, but there's been some bad ambassadors as well. And one that jumped out to me was a lady named Cynthia Strom. She was a political appointee from the U.S. to Luxembourg. She held her position for a little over a year. And it was reported that she was both corrupt and a bully. So much so that several of her subordinates opted to volunteer in Iraq and Afghanistan. And how bad of a leader, ambassador, are you that your people would opt to leave to go serve in war-torn countries? Jesus expects us to represent him well. Non-believers will think positively or negatively about Jesus and his bride, the church, based on the effectiveness of his ambassador's service. When we're good ambassadors of Christ, people are going to be drawn to him. And we're not as good, they're going to be turned off to the gospel, turned off to God, leaving them hopeless for reconciliation. I just want to pause for a moment and say that there's a lot of people in the room, many of you probably know, or maybe you are one of those people who have been hurt by bad ambassadors for Christ. That's caused issues, questions about God, questions about his church. I just want to say I'm sorry for that. I want us to go into the new year. If that is you, please come see me, Pastor Dave, Pastor Mitchell, any of our leaders and elders. We would love to be a part of that reconciliation process to help you be restored and for your healing. I love in our family ministry, our very first milestone is something that is called our parent commissioning And the purpose of this milestone is that we send parents into their most important, critical mission field, and that's their home. And in this milestone, we share with them that it is their job and their main purpose to be God's ambassador to their child, that God has called them to represent him to their children. It's their job to lovingly guide each child's heart to be reconciled back to their heavenly father who loves them so much. Parents, you have a hard job to do. I just want to also say, like, to encourage, as a pastor on staff here, I get to see and hear and witness really good, great ambassadors of him. From things like providing care, meals, rides, monetary provisions, praying for. You can come in here before a service or stay afterwards. You're going to see people praying for, praying with other people. 
sharing God's word with other people. In our family ministry, I get to witness people sacrificing, giving their lives, being ambassadors to kids and students and do an amazing job. Keep pressing in, Southbridge. You're doing a great job. Jesus is worth it because he gives us a new identity. Jesus is worth it because he gives us a new purpose. And our final and most important point is that Jesus is worth it because he is worthy. Let's look back at verse 21. It says that he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is a summary statement of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The good news is that we were once destined for eternal separation from him. But now through Jesus, we are restored in relationship with him. It is Jesus, the only entirely righteous one who took on our sin upon himself on the cross and endured the punishment that we all deserved, this eternal separation from God. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we make this incredible exchange. Our sin for his righteousness. This is what we mean when we talk about Jesus is our atonement for sin. And this word atone means to cover or to take away. It is cleansing a person who has sinned or become defiled in some way. Believer, in case you have, forgot, you have forgotten, you have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And that is indeed good news. And in our world, we often exchange goods of very equal value. I go to the store, I buy a t-shirt that's going to cost $9.99. I give them $10, but not in God's economy. In God's economy, he offers to trade his righteousness for our sin. Something of immeasurable worth for something completely worthless. Not only is Jesus worth it because of what he does for us, Jesus is worthy because of who he is. And we're just going to look briefly at his qualifications. He is preeminent. Colossians chapter 1 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This Greek word proteo means to be first in rank and influence. Your NIV version may say supremacy. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace 
by the blood of his cross. All things exist for and are created by him. He is in first rank. He holds first place and he is reconciling us to him. He is worthy because of his exalted position, his ultimate authority. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has exalted, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is above every other name and every knee will bow to him. And then finally, he's worthy because he is the Lamb of God. He is God's worthy sacrifice for us. In Revelation chapter 5, we get this picture of heaven where the angels join in declaring Jesus' worthiness because of the redemption and the reconciliation that he accomplished on the cross. Verses 11 through 12 says this, Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of your time. He is worthy of your affection. He is worthy of your devotion. He is worthy of your service. He is worthy of your worship. And he is worthy of your praise. Now, some of you have been coming to Southbridge for a while. Some of you may be even checking out this whole Christianity thing. Today is the day of salvation where you place your trust and faith in him. You are at war with him, but you can be reconciled to him. Man, that's something I would love to be able to talk with you about because he is worthy. And oftentimes when you come to him, life's not gonna get easier. Matter of fact, my experience says that he gets a little harder, but he's worth it. So as we enter in a new year, I just want to encourage you to press in. Go a little deeper in your relationship with him. Deeper in your relationship with others. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. So, what are your hopes for the new year? When it comes to your faith, what are you resolving to do? So we're going to take a little bit. We've been talking about the why. Let's talk a little bit about the how and the what. What new rhythms are you looking to begin and embrace? And I think the answer sometimes is not to do a bunch of things, right? We, we get excited about resolutions and I'm going to lose weight. And I'm going to change my diet and I'm going to go work out. And then, like we said, by month six, we're back on the old train again, right? But one thing that I usually try to encourage in our family ministry team is I ask the question is, what one thing? What one thing will you commit to doing in the new year that's gonna help you grow in your affection for him and your obedience to him? Are you enjoying him fully? If your struggle and if that is your struggle, go to him with that. 
Be honest with them. Man, that's maybe your one thing is to pray, God, give me the desire to, to be with you, to know you more. It's not like he doesn't already know this. He knows everything about it, about you, right? He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows this already, but get honest with them. Maybe for some of you, you want to learn to live as family with a, a group of believers. In the new year, maybe you step in to live in authentic biblical relationships with other believers. Learn to trust God with your relationships. Together you begin to live out your faith. Maybe it's learning to minister and provide spiritual support to others. And maybe for some of you it's taking a risk. The one thing that is scaring you the most might be the exact thing that God is calling you to right now. Take a step. Trust Him. Whether it's going public with your faith in the form of baptism, going on a missions trip, serving in one of our communities, or even serving on a team here at Southbridge, He is calling you into something new to share your faith with, something, with someone. You can trust Him with that. And I think it is... Pastor Mitchell announced at the beginning, maybe some of you are, are looking to establish a new rhythm here at church, looking to participate in faithful corporate worship. We want to invite you to January 7th, next Sunday, where we're going to start this whole new series, begin anew. In this series, we're going to look through the eyes of these people in the Bible who were given a fresh start, a restart with God. We follow a God of new beginnings and fresh starts. Will you commit to a new year of corporate worship? Please join us. When you think about Christmas, 360 days from now. What do you envision for your life? Same place that you are today? Or do you want to be growing in your faith and trust and obedience to Him? Why? He's, he's worth it. What is your why Jesus is worth it, and he is calling you to something new. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your love for us. In the midst of uh, us sinning against you, you sent your son to die for, for us, to take our punishment on the cross. God, we thank you for the new life that you give us. We thank you for the purpose that you instill in us, that we're no longer just workers and parents, that we have a higher purpose. 
to be your ambassadors and help us be good ambassadors. Help us represent you well. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of of our worship as we're getting ready to sing to you again. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your goodness and your love to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.